right, everybody, welcome to the Film Room Episode 3. This time, we're going to be doing something a little more modern. We're doing Hereditary for Episode 3. And I have a special guest with me, one of my good friends I've known for quite a while, who's a little new to the horror movie scene, Keller. Why don't you, uh, why don't you introduce yourself and let us know when you started kind of getting into horror movies? Yeah, well, like you said, I haven't been into horror movies my whole life like you have. Uh, I mostly started in college, probably 2015. I first started getting really into horror movies. My first experience with like a serious horror movie was really, I was getting mixed up either Insidious or, in, or in Sinister. <laughs> I think it was Insidious. <clears throat> they both have the same like main male actor in it the, with the... Uh, um... Oh, uh, that's Conjuring and Insidious. Yes, Conjuring Insidious, yeah. Yep. Yeah, with the sideburns. Yep, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it was definitely Insidious. That's sitting in, like, my fraternity basement watching with, like, 20 other people. <laughs> kind of let me see, like, how much of an experience and just, like, an adrenaline rush uh, watching a horror movie can be. And I'd seen other ones before but nothing like you take seriously like i watched children of the corn in middle school uh, <laughs> with a buddy of mine but we we watched that so many times just to like make fun of the acting and the right. dialogue in it yeah after watching insidious for the first time that became almost like a weekly ritual for myself and buddy of mine we'd get whoever we could to gather together and watch horror movies in the basement and then we got got to see like oculus bunch of times the sinister both the sinister and insidious movies conjuring a lot of possession movies just yeah. a lot of stuff that's uh on the darker more paranormal side of, of horror but you more recently got me into slashers i know i was gonna say that you and i have completely different like starting points because i grew up watching like the older slashers and then like i really haven't strayed from that like i've still seen the movies that you've mentioned but I feel like, yeah, you started with more of like the possession type films, which I do like. I'm very happy that you're you're starting to watch some of these slasher movies. And yeah, some of them are, you know, cheesy. But I mean, I know that you can appreciate some others that are, are very good. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what like kind of drove me away from horror movies growing up was like I only really watched movies either they were comedies or i wanted to take them seriously for the story and the plot which i i felt like a lot of horror movies fell short on right um but like that's the thing with watching horror movies is like a group experience where how i started with just being afraid and getting that adrenaline rush uh, in a group setting and that being fun also just watching like slashers and campy horror movies that's just a different type of experience and like i just learned to have fun with them and don't have to take them that seriously and that's kind of the way to enjoy them true that man and i know whenever i think of hereditary i think of you because i feel like ever since you watched that movie you've told me that i need to go i need to watch it and truth be told folks i didn't watch this movie until this past weekend and it was in preparation for this episode is this one of your favorite horror movies keller yeah, I'd put it uh, probably as kind of the benchmark for horror movies, almost because it does combine this because I love like dramas so much and appreciate like great acting performances. And it has it's basically has all all the good touchstones of a great drama movie mm -hmm. that has like horror elements that are done super well. I can agree. I 
you know, I've always heard good things about it, but there's something just weird about me when I know that something's really good. I just kind of push it off. If I don't see it in the theaters right away, I just like, I just like keep putting it on the back burner. Almost. It's a weird thing for me. Like I'm like trying to preserve like freshness of me, like not seeing it. I'm like, Oh, I don't want to ruin it. Cause then, you know, I, then I've seen it and then I probably won't watch it again. You know, just kind of a weird thing with me, but I'm happy I did because it was, I mean, it was another movie. I just, just feel uneasy the entire time you're watching it. Yeah. Had you putting it off? Did you get any spoilers like during that period? I actually did. You know, that's kind of the the sad part of modern technology and like social media is that there you come across clips and different things that on accident, you know, you're just scrolling through. So I did see, you know, nothing, nothing with the ending, nothing with the ending was ruined for me. But I did see the the daughter, Charlie, Mm -hmm. Dean, and I was like, whoa, I'm like, I didn't know that that happened, you know, and but going into it, I thought that was like that was like the the ending i didn't know it was that early into the film oh yeah and that's definitely how like all the marketing was very intentional with not showing that or like not having that be a part of the public knowledge going into it right and they definitely pushed having charlie be a big part of the the trailers she's gonna be like the main one of the main people in the movie and then it's just in the first third getting ahead of ourselves, but she's not in the latter half of the You know, Keller, it's really funny that we're having this conversation about that because it just makes me think. I just recorded uh, A Nightmare on Elm Street with my uncle, and I know you haven't seen A Nightmare on Elm Street, and you still need to get caught up and walk and listen to that episode, but element with a certain character in that film. And then I also think that maybe not on the same level as Scream, but with Scream, they marked oh, Drew, yeah, Drew yeah. Barrymore, and, you know, she's killed off the first 20 minutes. Not as extreme as that, but you definitely thought that this this girl was going to be the main protagonist or antagonist throughout the film. Yeah, I definitely think uh, Ari Aster could have taken a lot from Scream with Barrymore set up to be, like, the main character. That That's a super good example of that type of marketing. You know, I'm just doing some research on this, and, you know, I know that you're a bigger Ari Aster fan than me, although I am a fan. I looked and I saw that the budget was $10 million, which is a pretty modest budget for a horror film. They ended up making about $80 million in the box office. You know, that's not even accounting for DVD sales and streaming rights. You know, I'm sure they made well over $100 million with this, you know, 10 times the budget that they had. It has almost 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, this is a critically acclaimed horror film and that's that's pretty huge and you know i think this came out in 2018 i mean you're not really seeing that type of buzz around horror movies you know i felt like throughout the 2000s we weren't seeing stuff like that and just more recently we're kind of getting these art housey type mm. horror movies that are starting to almost never sniff around like an oscar i'm not i don't think this won an oscar or anything but i think they're trying to bump up the production value so that they can get more butts in the seats and people that might kind of turn their cheek to something like this. I, yeah, that's exactly nail on the head. I think like a lot of people who are kind of movie snobs, they, mm-hmm. they, they're like, okay, this is something I can deign to watch and like spend my time discussing that's worthy of my, my sites. I, I think especially after A24 released The Witch, I think that was kind of like, Right, um, the beginning of the trend for like the art house horror film, kind of that subgenre. And 
correct me if I'm wrong, but the order of these, I know that, well, they're within A24. I know they're not the same universe, but it was the witch, Hereditary, and then Midsummer came after Hereditary, right? Yeah, Midsummer was after Hereditary. I think there might have been one more, like, feature horror movie from A24 between Witch and Hereditary. Okay, yeah, because I know I've seen those other two as well. Yeah, Witch was also right up there for me in terms of my favorites. Yep, I remember, I actually, it's funny that you say that because I remember watching that up in uh, college, my last year at the same college that you and I went to. We moved into our apartment, me and, me and another buddy, and we didn't, I mean, we didn't have, like, all of our stuff, so we, like, we had to go back to our town to go pick up all all the rest of our stuff to move in, so we literally just had, like, blankets and, like, pillows to lay <laughs> in the living room, and it was, like, bare in there. And I remember we watched uh, The Witch and we like were scared shitless like at the end of it. We were just kind of like, it's kind of creepy like sleeping in this like abandoned apartment. <laughs> you got the abandoned apartment with the black mold growing and cracks on the ceiling, <laughs> making it smell like poop. Yeah. You got exactly. all the ambiance. <laughs> yep. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like there's starting there's a trend that's starting with these art house horror movies. Like I, I just saw something where Ari Aster is actually working on another horror film, but it looks like it's a ho- more so a horror comedy. And I think it's starring like Joaquin Phoenix. And I think he's just going to continue to like pump stuff out like every two years or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And honestly, I think that there would be no competition for these art house horror films. If there were not Halloween 2018 and, the the almost the rejuvenation of of slasher films and now i kind of feel like those two are competing each other and competition is a good thing am i wrong am i am i I right like i feel like we're just getting a plethora of different types of horror instead of just getting stuck with a certain genre because if you think back to the 2000s for that you know 10 year period when saw came out what did we get for the next 10 years only torture porn type movies (laughs) right yeah, like as far as kind of, I don't know if you call Saw like slasher, but I feel like there hadn't been any excitement for slasher movies for that period. There's a lot of possession stuff. Like I feel like The Conjuring. Yep. And, we went through a phase. Yeah, all those were super hyper popular, like the Paranormal Activity. Oh, yeah. That was where everything was going with, I think, partially just because of how good special effects were getting. You could do those realistically and make those scarier. But I, I do like the fact that uh, some of these older slasher uh, franchises are getting revived and having like kind of a fun horror escape to juxtapose the the super grim, depressing art house <laughs> horror that's coming out <laughs> that just makes you feel terrible and sad after watching it, no matter how good it is. Yeah. I totally get that. Hey, on that note, I think that's a perfect transition into Hereditary, the film. Let's go through our notes, some things that we saw, some things that we want to we want to talk about. I think we have a lot of conversation starters in here. What did you think of that opening? Let's start with the opening. I mean, sometimes we can skip over the opening credits or just, you know, just the opening in general. But I just I mean, that opening, it was quite ominous. And that music was quite interesting as well going around those miniatures 
Yeah, uh, the um, with the opening, like I, I completely kind of forgotten uh, since my last viewing a couple of years ago that the mom, I don't know how I forgot, but that, that she her like main job was making those uh, dioramas of the miniature scale of buildings and things. Yep, that, that's just like the perfect uh, creepy pastime <laughs> to have in a horror movie, like a miniature version of your haunted house that yep. you're working on uh, during it. Yeah, completely and slipped my mind, but that is a great opening showing the layout of the house uh, just through those dioramas. I know. And I before because, you know, my first viewing and I'm always overthinking stuff, dude. I'm sitting here thinking because it's zooming in that shot where it's zooming into uh, the house in the bedroom where we get the the opening scene with uh, the father and the son. I just have these theories going on in my head and I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, is this like this house, like a scenario, like within multiple different like scenarios and these like miniatures i i, I was like super over mm-hmm. it. i don't know I, yeah no i i had the same thing where i was like that something's definitely going to happen with these miniatures like something beetle juicy where <laughs> uh they're gonna be like coming to life and haunting the family or something i feel like that was definitely how it was set up <laughs> to be but definitely it was more symbolic than uh smoking or like the checkoff's gun where it's gonna go off later we kind of start off on a somber note after that with um the wake scene for tony collette's character's mother kind of go through some of the just the different phases of of them getting ready and then getting there and i mean i wouldn't say we get to know the characters very well in that and we're just kind of trying to wrap our head around what's going on but we're also I think that scene was very was vital in the beginning to show the family dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like during that, you get to see Tony just kind of be waiting in the car impatiently for the rest of the family, not really grieving, uh, just kind of like wanting to get it over with. Also establishes that the dad is a doctor, which I feel like is always important in horror movies, especially yeah. like possession horror movies. You have to have a man of science. I feel like to be like this isn't this isn't actually happening this This is impossible this is easily explained yeah 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 definitely lays out kind of also peter just kind of being reluctant in general and kind of uncaring about i think the whole the whole family is kind of disconnected except for charlie from the grandmother Mm -hmm. uh just wanting to get it over with yes and i think i also took note of like like the foreshadowing of like that man because remember i can't remember if it was it charlie or was it um peter who looked behind him and it was like that creepy ass man that we see like at the end of the house uh where did he look back and see a creepy man again i think he was coming up to the he or she was coming up to the grandmother and then he turns around and it's like that that like older, like probably like in his like fifties man with a kind of like a military cut and he's just like smiling very Oh uh, like, yeah, yeah. Very Yeah, like, there there were unsettling. like a lot of people and I think Tony his character her character mentions uh giving the eulogy that there were like a lot of strangers at the funeral. Right. Um, where she felt more like like out of place than yeah than those people yeah there's a lot of stuff with the funeral scene i hadn't uh caught on on my first viewing either with her 
just like talking about her mother being closed off, having a lot of secrets, all the mm-hmm. people that uh, were strangers to her there. I feel like we're important foreshadowing that I, I definitely had completely glossed over and even forgot that the grandmother was a part of it before that. So I was good I, to pick up on the second I'm watching. I, um, I also like that this scene establishes the fact that Charlie has a, a nut allergy. Yep. Because that comes back later and it's very important. I think, I feel like when they were for like throughout the entire movie, like the foreshadowing scenes, it was like very much like in your face. Like it was like kind of hard to miss. Like there yeah. wasn't really anything <laughs> cryptic about it. Leon, second viewing, it's definitely not cryptic. I feel like <laughs> I just completely uh, was not, was not into it on the first, first uh, viewing, like picking up on it. But yeah, the, it's very ham handed on the second viewing of the, not allergy. I made a note of that too, where they had made sure to be like, there's no nuts in that, right? Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because of your nut allergy, Charlie. You, I want to make sure there's no nuts in that. Right? There's no nuts, right? Yeah, and then we transition, and this is where we like find out this next scene that Tony Collette's character, Annie, is like a miniature art piece or a miniature house or miniature sculpture yeah. or whatever the hell you i couldn't even like think of like what the actual title of her like who the hell has a job like that she just like lives <laughs> in the mountains and is like just making miniature models well she has a doctor husband so she can do whatever she wants true yeah but i mean she probably I mean, makes good money i was gonna say she probably makes pretty damn good money it's pretty that. like a niche uh specialist role that you probably make good contract money on and this is the scene towards the when she's leaving her like uh, art room, she finds the note that her mother left her, the grandmother left her. And it was basically just like saying, I, I kind of felt like that would be a bit like cathartic for her to like finally, I don't know. I felt like she, she was so distanced to her, her mother and that she felt like her mother didn't like see her. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her mother left her this note and she was able to read it and she was, you know, kind of apologizing and being like, don't hate me for this. Like I did it for a reason, you know, like all oh, that was kind of cryptic, but she just kind of like, it almost like upsets her more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the notes, as far as I remember, have talked about like, don't hate me for the sacrifices we have mm-hmm. to make or that are to come. And that was definitely more foreshadowing in that note of, like the grandma's death not being the end of end of things yes and i would say this was probably the creepiest part of the movie for me and i actually ended up having a nightmare about it uh last (laughs) night where she turns the light off and you see like Uh, grandmother in the corner yeah i like i remember watching that this weekend and like thinking to myself i'm like oh my oh my god i'm like i'm if i think about that before i go to bed at all i'm gonna (laughs) I'm gonna have a nightmare, and I end up ha- I ended up having a nightmare about that last night. It was freaking terrifying. Yeah, I feel like Ari Aster does a very good job of just putting like old people in co- dark corners, <laughs> and <laughs> having that be like the scariest thing you can imagine. Yeah, I'd almost. I mean, to be honest, you'd you'd probably be more afraid of your grandma in a dark corner than like your brother, right? <laughs> like, what are you doing, grandma? Yeah, I mean that's definitely more out of character, I guess, for grandma than than a sibling. Siblings are more dark corner people. Grandmas, they walk in the light. Siblings are drawn to that shit. They just they love it. 
Oh, it's festering in dark corners. All right. So, I think the next kind of major scene was we see Charlie at school, right? Or is there stuff before that? I think one thing definitely worth touching on before that is um, Charlie in her bed, uh, kind of being the only one who's, like, torn up about the grandma's death talking about how grandma wanted her to be a boy which ends up being important and we see the words satiny or satiny written on the wall of her room which i haven't looked up what the words on all the walls in the house mean yet but it definitely means something demonic slash hellish i assume yeah trying to see if i can find something about it uh, that implies a resemblance to or behavior similar to Satan. Hey, there you go. Uh, Satan-y. Satan-y. You're acting it's kind of Satan-y. Right Satan-y. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was kind of like talking about like, well, who's going to take care of me once you're dead? <laughs> like worried about like what's going to happen. And yeah, I, I don't know. I think about that. Like, I feel like if, like 10 years ago, if I would have watched that scene, there would have been no like, significance to me but like i feel like now i'm just kind of like wow when i eventually have kids and that somebody like like my kid asked me that question it's going to be like a very delicate conversation to have because there are a lot of things i could say who do you think (laughs) who who the hell do you think (laughs) oh the neighbor you like him right (laughs) yeah i would probably say something like that well (laughs) the dog will take care of me yeah what are, you, what are you talking about the dog? You love the dog, right? <clears throat> Take care of you. But yeah, the school scene next uh, sets up a lot as well. Yeah, I so I had a question for you because I remember she was like messing with this toy that she, she had and she had her quiz. She wasn't doing her quiz. Mm-hmm. And the teacher calls her out and then all of a sudden that bird smacks the window. That could be nothing, but I was going to ask you, I was like, do you think that she did that somehow? Uh, definitely, but, like, and I'm not 100% about this, but definitely seems like Charlie has some kind of vision ability or precognition or something innate that's, like, driving her to draw the things that she does and create the right. things that she does. Like, she seemed very, it seemed very natural for her to, after that to walk down there and... Well, you see her in the classroom glance over at the scissors. Yep. And then go down at least her head off. It seemed very intentional. Yeah, very much so. And that's why I was like, I think she did that. Because I also feel like, like, the reason why I thought that initially was because it looked like she was upset about the teacher, like, calling her out on that. And she had to actually do the quiz. So I thought she was, like, doing that. I don't know. I was, like, kind of like a a warning. Like, oh, yeah. Like she's gonna leave the head, uh, Godfather style in his <laughs> bed. Well, I just thought she was like she was like doing it to like frighten her, just like boom, like. Ha- but then, like when she went down there and cut the head off, I was like, oh, well, she could have still done it, but she she needed the head to make her toy. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, I see what you mean with uh, like she's controlling the bird or something to slam into the window to scare. Yeah, the like she's like. Like like a magnet or something, just like cool, fucking hitting it. That'd be a pretty cool superpower. You can, uh, you have like how birds follow ma- magnetic poles. You have <laughs> that ability where they. Think I would hate. Flying I would hate that power. <laughs> like oh shit, where'd I put that magnetic pole? And it's just like, just like <laughs> on your house, fucking crow birds or whatever. 
then do we... There, yeah, so what's next? At this point, there's no scenes with Peter in school yet, because I feel like in the middle half of the film, we get like four different ones, and I've, I've, had, I've had a lot of trouble like keeping them straight <laughs> since we had so many. I, maybe this is where we like find out that he like has a crush on that girl yeah sitting in front of him yeah that's yeah that's what i thought but i think that's like it right he just it just kind of like establishes that he's horny for her (laughs) i think that's the main thing in that scene definitely and they talk about weed in their text conversation i think which is foreshadowing for smoking weed um And the teacher, which, like, I, watching this, the only three, like, reading, like, discussions on this movie that I uh, discovered this, but the class discussion was about Agamemnon or some some Greek saga. But I read that, that the initial Peter school scene was based on a Halloween school scene in one of the Halloween Oh, scenes. like, the first one where he, like, where she looks out the window and sees Michael? Yeah, I think it was that. Huh. Whatever, whatever they were teaching in that scene and in, in Halloween, uh, that's oh. what it's, uh, it was the same lesson. This one, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah, that's actually really interesting because in in Halloween they did that, and Lori's obviously like a space cadet, and then like the teachers, what's the answer? Or whatever it calls mm-hmm. on her, and she like answers it perfectly, and it's funny because like it's a a teenage boy, and he's just like. He's a space cadet, and then when they call on him, he just doesn't. He just say like, he doesn't even like answer it. <laughs> yeah. Like oh yeah. Very classic like, uh, movie high schooler. Like well, four. <laughs> uh, uh, can you repeat the question? Yeah. Yeah, I think the next scene after this. Isn't this when Annie discovers the triangle in on the floor of her mother's room? Yeah. Is that and part there, of a pentagram? Or yeah. I think there's like um mystic geometry, whatever you'd call it, uh kind of sprinkled throughout the movie. Okay. So I think later on one of the scenes shows like tri- triangles and circles carved into uh the walls elsewhere in the house yeah so i'm not sure like is this house like something they inherited from i don't know if that was ever established if uh like people got into their house to make these symbols or if this house was owned by somebody else prior yeah that's that's an interesting point yeah i don't know i feel like well charlie is 13 they establish that she's 13 years old in this film. Mm-hmm. And the mother said that once Charlie was born, her mother, so the grandmother, moved in with them. So uh, they had already yeah, been in this okay, house. Yeah, so yeah, she'd yeah. been there for 13 years. So she yeah. had plenty of time to, like, put all that stuff. Yeah. She was definitely scribbling shit on the walls and yep. getting things ready. I don't know if I'm missing anything here, but I just, I'm looking at my notes and... Is this like because after she she sees that she kind of just shuts the door and locks it or whatever, and then I think she goes back to like working in her her miniature mm-hmm. art art room, and isn't this when Peter the son comes in and asks if he can borrow the car to go to a party? 
Yeah, I think very quickly, one thing to touch on is uh, the dad. Um, uh, what's the dad's name again? But, Steve. Yeah, Steve getting the call from the cemetery. Oh, shit, that's right. That something happened and he's like kind of playing it off with Tony, saying mm-hmm. that nothing, nothing's the matter. Uh, a billing issue. Yep, uh, but like somebody had grave robbed basically or like, like desecrated thing. yeah desecrated the grandma's plot but yeah th- so that's like something that's very neatly kind of like put in there and then forgotten about until it comes yep. up later yeah it'll 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 definitely come back see that's the thing about like i feel like all the scenes like in the house i feel like they all kind of like get mushed together for me mm-hmm. it's hard for me to like be like did this happen before this or <laughs> what's going on here but yes i do remember that i just wanted to kind of touch on and let me know like you agree with this i feel like and obviously it was answered later but there's so much tension between the mother and son and that Mm -hmm. little like the tiniest of conversations and you can already tell from the get-go that this is like a very strained relationship yeah, they're very done with each other, like, on the outsets and, uh, like, very clipped, short conversations, just, like, kind of disregarding each other, being yep. very sarcastic from, bo- from both sides, yeah. And then, yeah, we learn later kind of, like, why that is, but very, very established right away. Yeah, because, you know, before we know why, I was just, I mean, I was, like, speculating, like, oh, I wonder... Like, if something had happened, or I kind of, like, after Annie was talking to Charlie about how Charlie was the grandmother's, like, favorite, I felt like, oh, maybe, like, Peter's, like, resentful because his his mom and his grandmother only paid attention to Charlie. Yeah, so he kind of, he I, it, kind of... it feels like a very realistic, I mean, teenager and mom conversation. Right. Like, it doesn't seem like there should be anything sinister lying underneath. No. Uh, that type of conversation is just very angsty. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think this is, isn't this when, so right after the scene is when Charlie is like drawn to like that's like the grandmother or somebody doing like a seance. Yeah. In the field. No, right? yeah. But like uh, there's a couple, there's a few moments um, where there's just old people doing creepy shit. Uh leading up to this one of them was right when right after uh charlie cuts the bird's head oh, off in the parking lot across the street right yeah the woman's just waving at her which is honestly one of the more off-putting <laughs> whenever they have like one of the old people standing across the street from one of the kids waving at them or yelling at them like that uh sets me off more than almost anything else i don't know why Mm-hmm. Ari Aster is just great with making old people the scariest uh, focal point of the movie. I think, yeah, and I also just think it's like the camera angle and the fact that it's like a very like long shot. Yeah, fact, like you you can you can tell that there's a great distance between them, but she yeah, can yeah. See, like it's almost like one of those things where like if you're like in a crowd of people or something and you see somebody like fifty yards from you and they're like facing towards you and you're like oh that person's not like looking at me like they're just like yeah who i just think they're looking at me but then if you're like the double if you're like a double take and this person's like was actually like looking at you and like started like 
creepily waving, you'd be like, what the actual fuck is going on right now? Uh, me? Him? Him? Me? Who, me? Him? Um, I, I, I just gotta go. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, she walked down into the field and saw just like a woman sitting in front of a blazing fire. And like the whole like property and surrounding landscape really adds to the kind of feeling of isolation and dreariness and and, and ominousness in the movie. I 100% agree that on the surface, you look at, you look at a house like that and you're like, Oh, that'd be so cool to live there. And then like, you think about shit like this and you're like, man, I am shit out of luck. If I'm out here and I see something like that, like, because you know the police aren't going to get there for like twenty five minutes. Yeah, yeah. And Ari Aster said that he used Utah specifically. That uh, was my question. Yeah, that was my next question because of the vibe. Yes, I was like, "What state is this in?" I see mountains in the background. It it definitely looks like Utah. That's <laughs> exactly what my notes say. <laughs> and then I actually found out, like, I watched the the ending credits and. It actually said like Utah State Commission or something like that because they have to like go through the state to um, they have to like pay taxes for filming there. Yeah, and I think he wanted to use like an even more isolated, like mountainous, snowy location for it, but uh, just because of production reasons, they they did in Utah. But it, I think it really worked. I think it did too. Yeah, I I liked it, and I think when I really started thinking about like, Oh, where is the set is when he actually like when Peter takes Charlie and he's driving from their house to the party and you're seeing kind of this almost like deserty, like, yeah, like no rural trees. highways. And then I'm like, okay, I see like deserty rural highways, but I'm also seeing like, like mountains in the background and like almost like forestry, like where they live. And I'm like, where the hell is this? And then my mm-hmm. mind was just like, oh, this is it's fucking Utah. <laughs> the human brain is uh, programmed to instinctively know when it's in Utah. Yeah. Like, it's the trifecta. You got the desert, <laughs> you got the mountains, and you got the trees. It's Utah. Nine the three biomes of Utah. Yeah. I, I knew. I knew. And obviously, it was ruined for me that she died. But I just, like, knew... That something effed up was going to happen when Annie was like, you're taking Charlie to this the school gathering party. Well, in my mind, first off, I'm like, dude, uh, isn't Peter like a senior in high school? And Charlie's like, if she's 13, she'd be like like an eighth grader. And yeah. Why would you make him bring his sister with? It's not, you know, they're in different schools. Yeah, it, well, I'm not sure uh, how the school system works in Utah. Maybe they're all... <laughs> I should have researched that. <laughs> uh, but um, I thought the same thing where it seemed like she was just like, it kind of seemed like a habit to her where it's just like, uh, bring your sister, uh, take care of her. Um, just because she's kind of being flippant or whatever. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, that didn't seem like a natural thing. Or it seemed like she was just arbitrarily putting a responsibility on Peter where... Mm-hmm. Uh, shouldn't necessarily have done that and honestly i was kind of surprised that he didn't put up a bigger fight i think he's just exhausted from having kind of that same conversation over again over and over again true 
yeah, I just kind of like, man, if that if that was me, I'd be like, I am. Why? Why do I have to bring her? Like, why am I bringing my sister to this? And yeah, yeah, he just was. I'm sure he just absolutely like he cringes on the inside when he has to talk to his mother. So I'm sure he was just like, yeah, whatever, it'll be fine. She'll just sit there and make her weird ass toys while I. <laughs> yeah, that's literally like what he try. He kind of treats her like the pets at the party. It's like, yeah, not really um like regarding her like intelligence or at all or anything just kind of like go over and play with those people uh while i do this thing yeah she's like yeah because well i mean he's the one that pointed out the cake to her yeah but before (laughs) we get into the cake i have a note here they were chopping up nuts but did you see how like aggressively that (laughs) that girl was like chopping nuts she's (laughs) just like insanely chopping those nuts up yeah she had some pence up uh, anger about something going on uh, and she's like talking to her girlfriend she's like, <laughs> just, like i think i actually nuts. like thought the first time i watched the movie uh because of how aggressively she was chopping the nuts with that knife i was like some shit's gonna go down with that knife at this party <laughs> oh dude i immediately was like oh well first off if she's that allergic to she has that bad of a nut allergy just pe- just her chopping the nuts up in the kitchen and that shit getting in the air, her throat would start closing, like, right away. Like, yeah, I, I definitely was, like, terrified immediately about what was going to happen. Yes, I saw that, and I'm like, oh, she's definitely going to have some type of reaction to yeah. that. And then she's like, yeah, go, uh... It's like, she's like, just go up there and grab a piece of cake. Just grab a piece of cake. And... On, it was actually kind of like hard to watch like after she like ate it mm-hmm. just kind of like i mean charlie's the actor did so well like portraying just like what a like not going overboard and just like portraying like what a kid would yeah. probably do just kind of like like you can slowly see the panic like settling in she goes oh, yeah, just trying to like pretend like everything's fine uh so she's not like a bother uh yep um and then yeah, I thought the whole that whole sequence from her eating the cake to um, to the incident was extremely well acted by both her and Peter's actor, um, Wolf Alex Wolf. Yeah, I love that actor. By the way, he's so good. Yeah, um, it was great. Yes, and I mean, I actually like. I really liked that he was like he took charge. Like when she came up, like he actually cared. When she's like. I can't, like, my. I feel like my throat's closing and I can't breathe. And he, like, just kind of stopped what he was doing and just tried to. Yeah, I thought her line was super realistic for, like, what a kid would say. Yes. It's like, well, both him being like, you okay? Like, you okay? You okay? And her being like, I feel like my throat's getting bigger. Oh, it's getting hard to bigger, breathe. that's right. Yeah. And just his immediate reaction after that. And I keep saying like every part is the scariest part of the movie to me, but I feel like I, like I, in these more realistic, um, like dramatic situations, like with him driving her, uh, trying to get to a hospital, like it's much easier to put yourself in that situation. Like thinking of a sibling or something and just being like, Oh my God, I cannot imagine the fear and adrenaline that would be going knowing it's a life or death situation with your with your sibling just going from like the 
um, just the whiplash of just chilling at a party to now your sister might die. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it sobered his ass up real quick. I mean, yeah, yeah, I agree too. Like those, I feel like when we talk about like the scariest parts of the movie, we have like mul- like multiple times we'll probably say that this is the scariest part of the movie. Yeah. I think it's different type of fear. It's it like, is, par- yeah. paranormal fear and it's like real life fear so like mm-hmm. i think we can differentiate those two yeah dude my next note is just like dude the sister's death the sister's death was just i mean it was so disturbing i mean i just kind of had to like almost like turn my head like right when mm-hmm. it was about to happen i mean just like she's gasping for air you know he's like just he's like hold on we're we're, we're almost to the hospital and you know i'm i'm sure any kid would do that you know roll down Yep. Roll down the window and just try to like have that rush of air hit her face and hopefully some of it comes down and into her uh her airway and you know there's roadkill and he like fucking i did not so i knew that that accident happened and she and she dies from it i did not know that she got fucking de- decapitated from it <laughs> oh yeah, my it, god it is complete and that's definitely also a running theme in the movie is decapitation but with that scene um i don't know if you noticed on the way to the party while they were driving there was a symbol on that light on the telephone pole carved into it that the the shot like followed and then froze on the telephone pole where the symbol was carved into it i did not see that yeah and yeah all those symbols like i did not it did not register for me um prior to that but i I think that pole was like set up to be like the thing to execute the sacrifice of charlie's body that is quite crazy and it also makes you think like well then if 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 it's that far-fetched to think that that would be set up as as the sacrifice like it makes you think well what else was also like set up and not just happenstance like was it was there somebody posing as a teenager at that party who like was that the one who was chopping up the nuts and yeah no, that's a super good point because um i read in the some of the notes on the movie um that later on when um after uh Charlie's death uh, when Peter's under the bleachers smoking weed with a few of his buddies. Well, yep. um, the buddy with the man bun <laughs> is later seen um, at like the final scene of the movie in, like in the treehouse like kneeling um, towards the altar. Um so he's one of the like secret cultists to payment. I didn't even fucking see that, dude. See, that's why I feel like Hereditary is a, a, a two watch minimum. Oh, yeah. Like, this is my, like, I think third watch, and I'm just picking up. Well, I didn't even pick that up, obviously, but I'm picking up like some of the symbology and stuff throughout the movie on the third watch for finally. I do watch them usually when I'm extremely tired and sometimes drunk, but <laughs> yeah, that's 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 insane that you know that that kind of makes you yeah just think about like every single thing that led up to the climax of the film was every single thing planned Mm -hmm. that's really cool yeah Yeah, you don't know who on uh 
a lot of people could be just like part, like you don't know if like the grief uh group that Tony went to oh shit. if some of them were part of it um, yep. cuz obviously Ellen who's part of the grief group was i think that was her name Joan Joan yeah Joan yeah um yeah so who knows who was who was all part of this cult yes yeah that's insane i'm sure once we go through more of the film will might pick up on more of that but i was i mean i was pretty disturbed just because you can tell peter's just like in shock because he just he kind of sits there he like kind of adjusts his his mirror he he talks mm-hmm. as if she's like still alive back there but he but he knows she's dead obviously and he just he's an obvious shock and then I guess I was just kind of surprised that he just drove home and went to bed. Yeah, I think that's a good um, portrayal of, like, intense shock is just complete denial and um, just inability to confront or just the body and mind closing off for its own protection the reality of what just happened. Um, Like, he could not confront that thing at that time um and just walked inside and i mean he it was clear from the movie that he didn't sleep the entire night he was just laying on his side and staring at the wall um until his mom screamed which tony's uh a very good like um grief screamer in this movie dude this is like this is the part where this is like probably the third time i've said this is like the scariest just like part of the movie for me just because it was like just so hard for me to watch it was just like mm-hmm. the this this when she was mourning and just the the screaming and you know steve her husband's like helping her just like almost like like rhythmically like like you know rowing with her to help her just kind yeah. of like push out all of this like pain and grief and i'm just like i get i have like i'm getting like chills just like talking about it because i'm just like i just don't ever you know, God forbid that happened to like me or like any of my friends or family that like have to go through something like that. Just like that would just be, you know, terrible. You know. Yeah, and uh, I think like I mean, it's a movie about like a grieving family um, and the horrors of grief, really. Um, yeah, and yeah, with like how. Uh, I mean, a lot of movies, people die, but it's always, almost always at the hands of the, um, like, the antagonists of the movie, whether that's right. people getting possessed, dying, the slasher killing them. Um, but you, either the main characters never have time to, like, show their grief or, like su- like suffer just from the loss of their friends or their their family member in the right. movie. Um, in this movie, you get a lot of time to see the family grieving and the te- the fallout tension um, of the guilt and the blame uh, that that's born from the from the grief of the loss. That's a really good point that you bring up. Just like you know, a lot of horror movies, or I think it's typical in horror movies to just kind of they kind of show, uh, I mean, really not much, but just almost like a split 
second of like their reaction to mm-hmm. a horror and then we skip over the actual grief and mourning part where it's at its peak where they're crying like how annie was and screaming like that almost to the we we almost just kind of jump to the numbness part you know yeah like, or just, it's like like i don't have time to grieve i gotta fucking run because the guy's right, coming yeah. after me or um it's somebody like visiting the grave of their loved one and being like, I'm gonna get revenge on whatever, or figure <laughs> figure out whatever did this. Um, so it's channeled in a different way. Where in this movie, um, a lot of it is channeled into just the conflict between Anna, Annie, Anna, yeah. Tony, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Peter. Because for... Peter is standing outside of her room. When she was mourning like that, mm-hmm. just... yeah, just unable to like provide his own comfort, and gets brought up later. Like, I mean, we'll probably get to it. The, the scene where they're eating around the dinner, dinner table, like, dude, yes, I was going to say that. Yeah. Like, I have a few more notes. Okay, let's hit on a few. More yeah, let's hit on the notes there. between that. We'll get to that because I I have a lot to say about that scene. Yeah, um, true. but I think we kind of jumped to there was a funeral scene right for charlie yeah just i was kind of short with just showing tony doing greats crying screams again oh right where it's the burial yeah at the burial that's right yeah and they kind of it's it's almost like when they got home from that like the whole family like dispersed and just now i don't know if you picked up on this but was it annie's character or i can't remember who but did she she used to have a brother but yeah he, he died he killed himself he had schizophrenia right yeah so this uh was mentioned um after the grandma's funeral uh at right. the at the first time when tony forces herself to go into the grief meeting mm-hmm. um she wills herself to talk and she talks about her brother Charlie or Charles. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> and of course, I didn't pick up on this first watching, but yeah, she talks about her brother Charles who committed suicide. And you suffer from schizophrenia. Oh, yeah. She talked about how he was, how he was talking about uh, their mom was like putting people inside him. Yes. Yeah, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, so she, she took it as he had schizophrenia. See, um, and that's where I I made a note where I was like, wait, because this is when the son was sitting in class and he starts hearing like the, the whispers and I was like, oh my God, is he starting to experience like the schizophrenia she was talking mm, about with her brother? That's just saying. You know? Yeah, yeah. So on the second viewing, I, I took from it that uh, the brother that Tony's brother had been like the first attempt at the ritual to bring back payment. Right. Like he was supposed to be the original vessel, like male of this family to, to host payment that didn't work out. So Charlie, who she said, like grandma wanted him to be a boy, wanted her to be a boy. Yep. She was supposed to be the second vessel, the second attempt, but she ended up being a girl. So they had to, do something about her body by killing her. Jesus, yeah. That's... But yeah, she, like, Tony in that original meeting talks a lot about, um, like, 
feeling guilty, blaming herself, um, which I feel like is a, but that she like can't admit it or uh, nobody admits their guilt, um, which ends up being a major theme later too. Yeah. I, when she eventually went back, well, almost went back the second time, right. To (laughs) the, the meeting and she bumps into uh, Joan I don't know on your first viewing did you just know from the get-go that this bitch wasn't right I mean I think I was just like when I was watching it for the first time I was just wanting her to be like I'm a trusting individual probably in general (laughs) I was like maybe there's like one good person that will help this family um that maybe maybe she'll like also fall victim to the dark forces that are happening uh but I wasn't 100% sold on her being evil until, I think, uh, a scene later on. But right away, I was like, oh, this is nice. I don't know, man. There was just, like, something about her right away just being so, like... I know they're going to this, like, meeting where they have to open up, but she just felt very, like, intrusive, (laughs) like, on first meeting. Yeah, I felt like um, I felt like it was a pretty realistic interaction for like two okay, yeah. grieving people, like one person being super reluctant um, in their stage of grief, and then one person being like super eager to um, support type of type of thing because they're on a later stage of grief and um, wanting to like relate and and just kind of have a community to be a part of. Right. Yeah. I just, I don't know. There was just something, <laughs> something about her that just like wasn't, wasn't right to me. Well, she's, she's above an age threshold where she starts to get, get creepy. I don't trust anybody over 50. You know <laughs> that about me. <laughs> so I, I think we might've skipped over this, but was it during the first meeting where she talked about when she slept, she was sleepwalking? No. I think she told Joan at Joan's apartment. Oh, that's when, right. When she went there for the first time. Yeah, because isn't the because the next scene is she's trying to work and she has those sticky notes telling her keep working, mm-hmm. but she can't get her mind off it. So then she ends up calling her and going over to her house or apartment. Yeah. Right? See, but Keller, did you know on your first watch? See this this. Well, like I had my, like, I was skeptical, obviously, and about this about this lady's like intentions, and it just kind of solidified it for me when she's like, "Oh, my grandmother used to make the same floor mats," and she goes, "Oh, interesting." I was like, "You wouldn't just say that, like, I don't know, maybe that's <laughs> the Utah like, thing." You're so trusting. You're just like, "Oh, that's interesting." Like, okay, all the Mormons probably make floor mats like that. I don't trust Mormons, you know that. (laughs) 50-year-old Mormons are the least trustworthy. 51-year-old Mormons. Yeah, 51. Yeah, no, that was another thing where, like, (laughs) first viewing, I was just like, like uh, Tony, I was like, oh, interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a little interesting tidbit there. But I don't think I recognize, like, the significance of that facts if somebody had like the same floor mats as the one that her grandma or her mom used to make because 
I didn't know the significant. I didn't realize the significance of her mom and all the intertwined. I I did. I, I like. Well, I just kept that in the back of my mind the entire time I was watching, just because mm-hmm. they had the funeral. We saw her. I don't know ghost-like figure in the corner yeah. of the room and just like she kept getting brought up and just how she was mysterious and they even mentioned that she was like into like spiritual like like yeah. unorthodox spiritual type stuff and I was just like I mean the entire time I'm like yeah this bitch is a witch like <laughs> yeah she's she's not normal so no, I mean obviously not. like I wasn't like oh yeah I put like all the red red dots red lines together, but yeah, I was definitely just like, you know, you're on her. I'm I'm onto this bitch. I'd be like, I ain't stepping from here. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> <laughs> what are you What are you fucking nuts? Oh yeah, and you can definitely like. I mean, it's all obvious during the second meeting with uh with Joan, but oh um, yeah, like at right at the outset when she's talking to tony in the parking lot before the second meeting i'm just like okay she's she's going too far now she's like she's like manic yeah she's just like like, that scene i was like so annoyed at her she was grabbing tony's arm just like pulling her back towards her like to face her i was like god just lay off her just do you understand the significance of this and tony was such a good actor in that scene like being like okay (laughs) (laughs) like what the hell yeah that oh my god yeah that's i like i said this i just knew this bitch wasn't right and yeah that was another part where i'm just like this bitch is crazy she's insane but yeah after so after joan's scene we have a scene with tony and steve which steve i like i feel like some like charlie peter Annie are all like super animated in their emotions. They're extremely good at acting out like their their three different dy- dynamics and yes. what their characters are. I feel like Steve gets kind of like overlooked. Like he's not in, in, in as many scenes like as a force character. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can definitely see like why some of this um, family dynamic is an issue with how he handles some of it because right. he's just kind of like he wants to be like the calm voice of reason and the mediator but he he never really until the scene around the table he never really like puts himself out on a limb to either like comfort Annie Tony or or the son or Peter mm-hmm. like he's just kind of there kind of like waiting for them to open up to him but like that doesn't happen without him being open yeah i actually i really enjoyed the father in in this movie steve i i just really i liked his character and i mean obviously i i knew that he was just gonna be like the one who was like grounded in reality and just like constantly pushing back on any like narrative around like 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 paranormal <laughs> type mm-hmm. activity but yeah, I totally get what you mean. I mean, I feel like to to a certain extent, like he wasn't the most passive, but like he definitely had a sense of passiveness to him where like he would just be like, okay, stop guys. That's enough. And yeah. It's like keep going. And then it's like, it takes him like four times to finally just be like, that's enough. And it's like, but at that, at that point, they're already like, it's already like done. 
No. Yeah, and and like when he walks in on, or like he made dinner, Tony's like yep. working on her shit, and she puts up like a little re- resistance or like standoffishness, and he's mm-hmm. just like, okay, I give up with it. Yep. I don't care if you come down or not. Yeah, he's like, I made dinner, and he's yeah. she's like, well, I'm really busy, and he's like, it'd be nice to eat like a, eat as a family, and then uh-huh. is like pushing back, and then he's like. I don't really give a shit if you come down or not. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, okay, that's it. That's the extent of my support. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like, all right. I, I made tried. dinner for the first time. <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that pretty much takes us to, to the dinner scene, right? Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, dude. My In my notes, I just had, since, you know, just the beginning of the film, watching the mother and the son and finally getting to this point and like going through this, I was like, in my notes, I'm just like, this was so cathartic to watch. Like, I felt like I needed it. Yeah, you know? honestly. <laughs> like, you just needed an explosion of emotion after yes. all the tension. I'm like, I just want you guys to fucking, like, I don't care if you guys like punch each other in the face. Just like fucking talk. Just yeah. like do something. <laughs> yeah, so much passive aggressiveness, so much like sar- sarcasm and uh, <clears throat> just like deflection. <clears throat> then finally, they just like address what they're uh, what they're going through. Though it's still Tony brings up again the fact that nobody in the family will like admit guilt or admits like they're or they will say they're sorry for anything. Because uh, that will imply like they're guilty or feeling like they're at fault for anything. Tony never does, even though she addresses it. Peter never does for his part in Charlie's death. And I mean, the dad just doesn't. <laughs> uh, Steve doesn't really say much at all. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty complex for Peter, though. I mean, just like mm-hmm. being being at that very like tender age and. I'm sure there's so many different things going through his mind and it's not like there was a good relationship beforehand or anything. And I mean, really, I mean, from the point of Charlie's death, like you can tell that it almost seems like a team of Peter and Steve versus Annie the entire rest of the way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Steve just wants, or yeah, Steve just wants to protect. Cause Peter. he even says that later. He's like, I'm, he's like, I just want to protect my son. I'm going to do what's best for my son or whatever. But I feel like um, that mindset is part of what like is creating so much like anxiety in the family is because nothing ever gets addressed because yep. Peter's not talking about things with his mom, with, uh, with Annie and Annie, like when Peter blames Annie for like telling Charlie to go to the party, Annie doesn't take, or accept like any part of the blame for that when no. she's talking about Peter not accepting any blame, he doesn't accept any blame. So it's definitely just like things get put out into the open, uh, but not really resolved at the at the party or at the party at the dinner. Yeah, it's like, hey, you want you fucking want to know what's on my mind? These are all the things that are on my mind, and then it's like they don't mm-hmm. even like respond to them. They just kind of scoff, and then they're like, well, what about this? Yep. Yeah. yeah, lots of deflection. It's funny that I said that that felt like so cathartic, even though it felt like nothing got like resolved from that. But I think it was just the fact that like they 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 talked about yeah yeah you know yeah yeah uh, uh, they I mean putting things out in the open is like a part of the journey, and who knows if they didn't get murdered by demons if 
uh, if things would have gotten resolved after that. But <laughs> yeah, that should that should have been like in the ending credits. Like, hey, if they wouldn't have gotten murdered by demons. Who knows <laughs> I don't know. It just like every single scene in that home. Ari Astor, the director, does such a good do- good job with like lighting because every scene, even when there are lights on, mm-hmm. it feels Dim. dark. Yeah, you know, it just feels so gloomy, and your mood is just down when you're in that home, and it's almost like that home is drawing negative. I, I, yeah, I feel like at all hours of the day, the home is in like just after dawn, where it's like just the first light of morning. In the house. Yep. Yeah. Creepy ass house, bro. I I would live there. I don't know. It's a nice place. It's nice, but maybe a summer home. Got some ready-made triangles for your (laughs) rituals. Yeah. Hey, an entire family fucking died here. Um, we're we're selling it for half the price. Like, oh, think about it. You got to think about it. Come on. Just don't go in the treehouse. Don't go in the treehouse, all right. Um, and also, to, oh. don't look, don't look at the naked people's junk, all right. <laughs> I know the movie wants you to look at it. Yeah, that's like written to the contract. Like, hey, there's gonna be some weird ass people on the property. We just can't get rid of them. <laughs> if we, if they notice you looking at the junk, we're gonna have to ask you to vacate. We're gonna have to foreclose this home. <laughs> what? Oh yeah. So after the dinner, um, I can't, what what's what part was that before or after the dinner where Tony was sleepwalking? Oh, I think it was. I think it was after. Yeah, it was definitely after the dinner. Yeah, that makes sense because because that was kind of like the second part of the. I mean, partially catharsis, partially just like exposition. Where, yep. Um, Tony sleepwalks, and again, this is probably the scariest part of the movie for me where she walks into his room following the trail of ants and then uh sees his face like charlie's head mm-hmm. uh completely swarmed by ants um and then the rest of the dream- nightmare happens but yeah that whole scene left me so just like feeling disturbed because like i've had sleep paralysis before yeah. Um. And my worst nightmares as a kid was like my parents turning on me, and they're like turning evil and doing sinister shit around yeah. the house. Um. Oh my god. So this is just like the worst thing I could possibly imagine. But we get really good um, exposition in this scene with uh, Tony talking about um, how she didn't want to have kids, how. Her mom pressured her into having kids. Um, and then uh, her talking about trying to abort Peter. Oh. And then he's like, why are you telling me this? He's like, why? Yeah. You didn't want me or whatever? And like, I, I did kind of feel like it was a continuation of like, yeah, the conversation at, at dinner almost. Like, I mean, it took a different turn, but because when the conversation ended at the dinner scene, like nothing felt resolved and nothing was finished so then it was like when that happened it was like well then she like hugged him and said like but i love you now and like i I, i'm so glad i had you yeah i feel like uh, like that 
uh, nightmare scene was a good representation of like the stuff Tony could like never say to her, uh, to Peter. So she's just like getting it out in her dreams. And then you get like the, uh, what she call it? The, what she drenched with again, paint thinner. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. They're both like wearing, they're both like have like paint thinner on each other. Yeah. Like screaming. Yeah, which was with the hard transition back to her covered with paint thinner and the, like her contorted face mm. and lifting yeah. up the match was so fucking creepy. Uh, so, <laughs> such a well done scene with the back and forth between Peter and her faces just like looking terrified of each other. Yeah. Like, uh, what the hell's about to happen here? <laughs> 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 you gonna explode both of them? That'd be funny if Peter just like stopped and was like, "Hey, mom, what, what, what the hell is about to happen here? Give me a heads up. <laughs> Next time you're gonna come in here with paint thinner. This is twice now. Twice, yeah. Because yeah, we we didn't mention that that was like the reason why Peter and and Annie were like so. Yeah, because he just could not trust her. Oh, I think Charlie too. Um, yeah, to a sense, Charlie. Yep, both had major trust issues because of that sleepwalking incident. Oh my god, dude! I don't even know what I'd do if <clears throat> something like I'd be so terrified. I, I, I don't blame. Yeah, him, I mean that's I'm a terrified. waking nightmare. Seriously, yeah. You know, like I, I said, I had a nightmare last night, and it was almost like in the same like vein as like like that. Like I, I was like, I don't even know whose basement I was in, but I was just like in a basement. And, like, Holly was, like, oh, dude, this, like, freaks me out. Because I, I was, like, sleeping on my back. So, I, like, I I was, like, in the basement, someone's basement. And Holly was, like, upstairs in my dream. And this basement was, like, ginormous. And I was just, like, sitting there. And I'm, like, thinking to myself, like, what am I doing down here? <laughs> <laughs> I've like, had that before, yeah. Like, why am I here? And in the middle of me, like, thinking about that, there was like a room in the distance that I started seeing like, and like, I think it, it looked like my grandmother, but I, it wasn't my grandmother. It was just like an old, older woman just like walking. It was like a mirror of like, it was like a room of mirrors. Uh. I, just, I kept seeing her like, Oh dude, I'm like getting fucking goosebumps. Just talking about she like, I kept seeing her reflection just like walking in there. And then she like turned and then like, there's like seven mirrors facing me. And she was like smiling and her just like, oh, grin got like bigger and bigger. And then like, all of a sudden, like, the lights got, like, really dim, and she, like, just started, she wasn't, like, running after me, but she was, like, like, walking, like, after me, and I was, like, screaming, and it was, like, a maze, and I was screaming Holly's name, I was, like, yeah. I was, like, Holly, like, help me, and I, like, I finally, like, get up the stairs, and I, like, look down at the bottom, and there's, like, like, a spotlight on this, like, like, figure of whatever it is, and then, um, I end up waking up, but in the middle of me waking up, dude, I was like, oh, I was like that. Like, I was like, like, as if I was like saying it, like in, in like my real, in like real life. And like, luckily she was like, <laughs> she was putting her makeup on. It was like in the morning and I was like, man, I was like, that was, I'm glad that that was not real. Like, holy shit. Oh uh, yeah. That, that sounds like, uh, so many dreams I've had in the past. For some reason, old people feature heavily, but uh, I had one where I was waking up from some kind of nightmare, 
um, and like yelling out, but I woke up in sleep paralysis, um, couldn't move. Uh, but my, my door started opening. So I figured that, um, my like, mom had heard me yelling and it was coming in to check and she walked in my room, but the way she walked in, she like, opened up my door and was just skulking slowly into my room with like hunched over and almost doubled over, like just kind of not looking at me, just walking into the middle of my room. And then I was just unable to move, like eyes just like turned to look over at her. Um, and she just was walking in a slow circle, hunched over in my room, and then went over and, like, I was just trying to scream this whole time. She went over and just, like, opened up my closet and looked inside. And then I, like, was able to yell in real life. <clears throat> and, like, seconds later, I don't know how, my actual mom <sighs> responded to that. Like, she was just a, a superhero with spidey senses that something was wrong. Oh my god! As as soon as real mom opened the door, skulking mom vanished, um, and I was able to move around. But yeah, for some reason the that whole trope of like your parents not wanting you or turning on you, yep. was such a theme of like my young uh, nightmares and stuff. Yeah, it's. Yeah, stuff like that's scary, and I think it's funny, like, because I've had sleep paralysis, like, multiple times, and I feel like every time, like, you know, it's typically somebody coming into, like, the room that you're sleeping in, you're just kind of, like, helplessly watching them, and, but it's funny, because most of the time, they just kind of, like, are, like, walking around your room, like, inspecting things and observing things instead of, like, coming to, like, kill you, you know, but it's still terrifying. Oh, uh, yeah. You're just like, just the fact that you can't move, and then yeah. almost like they're, uh, they're just like teasing you by yes. being in your presence and just looking around. Yeah. Um, they're just kind of like, I, I know I've had ones where it's like this, like, this, like, man who's just like, he like comes in, he just kind of like takes his finger and like rub, runs it across, like, the dresser and like dust comes off and like sprinkles it onto the guy. He's, in, he's like inspecting it. And I'm like, what fucked up shit is this guy going to do to me? <laughs> he's just appraising your room. Just being like, yeah. you clean this dust off a little bit. You're a dirty boy. <laughs> Did you know dust is mostly composed of dead skin? I'd be like, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I just fucking chop my head off. I don't care. <laughs> just kill me. So I, don't. I don't care anymore. Just kill me. Yeah. So where, where the hell were we in this movie? So I think. Yeah. So we, we just got about, done with the sleepwalking. And I know we, 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 we touched on her bumping into Joan at the grocery store, but I do think like the next scene we should probably talk about is when she's like, invites her over to like doesn't yeah. even invite her he, like forces her over to her apartment to like do this like uh what's it called like ouija seance. board yeah like seance like yeah. ouija board type experience and i noticed in the at the craft store um that uh what's her name joan she had just bought the chalkboard um oh that was like in eggs from her shopping so she it's not like she had been like 
she was definitely acting on well i mean we know she was acting um about like being super excited to show tony the um seance um but just the fact that she had just bought the chalkboard and just was like waiting for tony to be in that parking lot to invite her over that just makes it so like predetermined and sinister this whole plan uh to show her this and just makes it more that much more chilling uh, yeah yeah it, that scene like that scene creeped me out too a lot just like her i like tony collette is such a good actor in those yep. situations it's just like her reaction her like her just like just the unbelievability on her face uh-huh. and like the screaming. I'm just kind of like I like I'm I'm uncomfortable watching this. Yeah, it's almost <laughs> like a polite freak out because she's not wanting to just because like anybody would be absolutely mind blown and terrified if they saw this happening. Yeah. Um, but like her being in the stranger's house and like her the stranger <laughs> talking to grandson, um. Like she was almost like suppressing it a little bit, but it's yep. so believable, like the way she reacted to this. Absolutely, yeah. Because she's like, "Can we, can we just please stop? Just, just take a break, real quick." Yeah, <laughs> just like I'm like, that's exactly like what you would say. Because like, like if if you're not gonna go like like 110 percent freak out, like you would obviously have like that polite bone in you being like, "Let's just take a quick break. <laughs> I'm gonna you know, go use the bathroom real quick. You just stop conjuring the devil real quick, and then you're like." Uh, I'm gonna fucking go. Like once the lights turn on, <laughs> hate, to, hate to interrupt. <laughs> hate to interrupt this uh, thing going on. And I also, what also made me like annoyed was that like at first, um, when Annie was telling her to stop, like Joan was like so into like yeah. the conversation with whoever she was talking to that like she was ignoring her and it was bothering me. I'm like, oh, what's going on here? That and she was like pissed. Funny yes. for telling her to stop, which was so, like at, at that moment, like obviously, um, was very off on her, uh, as soon as she wanted to do the seance. But, <clears throat> um, when she was like pissed at Tony for wanting to stop it, like that, I was like, okay, this shit is uh off the rails, she's not a good person, no, and. So my question to you on this scene, I didn't even put these, put this in my notes. I'm just like thinking about it, talking about it. The whole story about her son and grandson drowning or whatever and dying and her talking to her grandson. Do you think that's all bullshit now? And that like, she was actually conjuring like payment. That's a good point. I've never thought of that. Um, If she was just conjuring like this, some demon and they, that was like their two part act parlor game with, with right. people yeah i'd never thought if that was like something she just made up about her children or if like her or her grandchildren if her grandchildren dying was like why she turned to the cult possibly mm, right and, and like, then that, that actually like legitimately gave her a way to to talk to them or communicate with them the, the only issue with that is that she well i, th- I think she's lying dude because Remember when uh, Annie comes across like that like scrapbook and sees all the pictures of her and wasn't her like the grandmother like quite young in those pictures? 
So it would have been years ago uh, he had started. I remember looking like somewhat old. Okay. In those pictures. I don't know. I could be like way off on that, but I mean, yeah, either way, she could have yes, turned. She could have turned and like, well, the cult or whatever could have like manipulated her and being like, yeah, mm-hmm. well, if you do this, like you'll be able to speak with your grandsons again. So I feel like most cults like, um, and that's definitely a theme in Midsummer. Um, is cults like preying on people who are in a vulnerable, oh yeah, part of their life, grieving or just uh, insecure with who they are, um, and taking advantage of that to indoctrinate them. Uh, so that could that definitely have been a motivation for um, yeah. They like they like join. they like to like fluff them up and like act as if they're empowering them like a like a false sense of empowerment towards those people yeah really just like manipulating them like crazy yeah Um, like like you can see in the books that tony finds about payment and um everything that they talk about at the end of the movie like they talk about like give us wealth give us secret knowledge um so it's all those promises uh, cults give of community wealth knowledge especially like secret stuff and stuff that you can't find in the mainstream or in other religions and stuff yeah yeah no i definitely i definitely remember that because so after she like stops does she just kind of like storm out of there i can't quite remember yeah um Joan stops her on the way out when she's storming out and just swings swings her around again, grabbing her arms again, <laughs> just pissing me off. Um, and it was going like, uh, it, was, it wasn't your fault, or like, you didn't kill Charlie. Um, mm. Which was probably something that um, Annie was like blaming herself for, but is also very literal uh, when you think about how the cult set up Charlie's death. Oh, they, they're the ones who killed Charlie. Like, you literally did not kill Charlie. Yeah, you didn't kill Charlie. Stop feeling so fucking bad about it. Yeah, yeah. But that definitely that uh, whole experience, as much as it shook up Annie, definitely gave her hope going forward, or at least one last like ditch effort for bringing her family together. Yeah, because isn't it like she gets kind of a a hair up her ass when she gets home to to do it herself? And this, and then like that's when she wakes up Peter and Steve. Yeah, and this is actually like the best I'd ever like as as much anxiety and tension I'd felt throughout the rest of the movie. Like this was the most quote unquote hopeful or like relieved I'd felt during the movie because um, Annie immediately was like, I mean, even if it was just trying to placate Peter, um, was like saying she was sorry for everything, um, Mm -hmm. waking him up. And even in that scene, there's such a good, like, camera shot of um, the angle, like, swinging. So it's, like, her hovering over his face from a weird angle and just looking, like, just, like, savage, like, hovering inches away from his face. Yeah. Um, but the camera like rotated weird. Uh, that made it like a creepy scene almost. But 
uh, with her just like being so apologetic and wanting to get everybody together um, and Peter and Steve like finally kind of playing along with her I was like they feel the most like a family <laughs> in this one yeah. moment than they have in the movie so far but it quickly disintegrated yeah and like what are your thoughts like what do you think is running through fucking Steve's head because I feel like <laughs> after seeing something like that like wouldn't you believe uh, well yeah I mean I feel like anybody's uh, first reaction like even if you are inclined to believe stuff like that your first reaction is that like somebody's messing with you I feel like yes um, especially if I, I, I think from Steve's perspective uh, he's just not uh, inclined to believe that the cup like running across the table was proof that um, Annie was speaking with Charlie uh, but I like how they did both this original seance in Joan's house and the one in their house the way that the interactions with the other side were very, I mean, they were kind of understated. Like it wasn't a lot of possession movies where furniture gets chucked around the house and the lights flash on and off. It's just like cup moving, candle flaring, slight breeze moving Tony Collette's hair. Um, But that's all like all it takes unnerved by what's going on yeah i well didn't at the end the cup like flew like 30 feet across the fucking room and like slammed into like a liquor liquor cab cabinet did it i think maybe maybe they did chuck stuff around well i thought like at the end like it was it was i thought like it was like angry because steve and peter steve and peter were like distracting Annie by like t- telling her to stop oh, and stuff like well, that. Well, yeah, I think the cup moved like halfway down the table. It might have flew into something. I can't remember though. I thought it did. I thought like like a liquor cabinet. Like oh yeah, I think something got... shattered. Something shattered, and that's where I'm like, dude, like get your head out of your ass. Like there is something not right going on. Oh yeah, and uh, Peter, or uh, you can see um, Steve like checking to see if if Annie's messing with him by looking under the table. Yep, um, just like she did at Jones. That's right with the chalk, yeah. Uh, which is funny, like that that is what people would do <laughs> if something was moving across the table and see if there's magnets or some shit under <laughs> messing with it, but. Um, when he's doing that and Tony is getting possessed is one of the scariest parts of the movie. Yeah. Like, I don't know if you like noticed her just like face drop and her posture completely change. Yep. Uh, I hated, I hated that so much. (laughs) It was so inhuman the way she just, whiplash from one emotion to nothing and then her body just like sagging and you can see her hands clenching when 
uh, Steve's looking under the table. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is like where shit just starts ramping up and just getting getting out of control. I mean, it is a two-hour, almost a two-hour movie. I think it is a two-hour movie, but it's just like, it's kind of a, like, kind of a slow burn. But. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, it, it builds anxiety, and that's why it's, I think it's more of a, like, family drama than a horror movie, because the, you don't see anything paranormal until the seance at Joan's house. Yep. And that's, like, super minor uh, paranormal stuff. Um. Everything before that is uh, the family drama and some of the symbolism that'll let you know shit's going to hit the fan later. Um, But yeah, from this point on, it's all terrible and extremely paranormal. Yeah, and nothing nothing improves. Oh, yeah. I had one note note written down for this seance at at the house um, where... Tony is like looking at her book that she's going to read from uh, to to do the conjuring or whatever. And Steve looks at the book and goes, what language is even that? (laughs) Is even that? I don't know why they kept it like that. Maybe that's correct grammatically, but for some reason that hit my eardrum so strangely that he said what language is even that <laughs> I, I, feel, I feel like that's a flub that they probably just kept in because I mean if you're flustered and fucking freaked <laughs> out like that you might say you know you might just be grammatically incorrect but... yeah yeah. I, I think more movies should just do like more uh, like mess ups with dialogue people's conversations aren't perfect mm, no not at all <laughs> So, I have a question, mm-hmm. and I know that it had happened a few times with Charlie earlier in the movie, but then we start seeing it when uh, Peter's at school with that like that light. Yeah, what is that? I think that represents when Payman is just like wandering around and is wanting people to notice things. Um, like Payman's spirit is just like focusing on stuff and is in they're in the presence of payment not 100 percent sure on that but uh yeah you definitely start seeing it more towards the end of the movie um but it it's used as a device multiple times to like get people's attention on certain things like right it like shows with- charlie some stuff and well, it showed Charlie that there was that seance thing going on in her like backyard. Yeah, and then it showed Peter the the reflection of himself. Yeah, in the glass where it's like really not him. Yeah, I think yeah, I think it is Payman's spirit in the room. How they represent that? That's freaky as hell, bro. Because like you start seeing it, I think you just might start seeing it for the first time after the seance or I'm or did Charlie see it before that I'm pretty sure she saw it when she was like in her room creating like a, a oh toy. yeah yeah she definitely saw it before that yeah and I think once she was gone it like started pestering Peter 
Yeah, yeah because I think that is the second to last scene before his like final like obviously like fucked up the classroom scene because <clears throat> right after this is when Steve I think he like talks he calls Tony and or calls Tony calls Annie and like says like I just got a phone call from the school that our son or I just got a phone call from our son at school and he's like bawling his eyes out mm-hmm. or something and then because remember she he hangs up on her and she's like don't fucking hang up on me yeah that's right. just like can tell that like the the communication factor that like wasn't already there is just also just like that's also like just deteriorating surprisingly even more yeah i mean i think uh steve just hates the fact that annie did that fucking seance and put that in because that opened up so many wounds for peter obviously just like both i mean being freaked out at everything that happened in the seance and also the fact that they're contacting the his sister that he feels like he killed um and he he felt like was like seeking vengeance on him because he had woken up with the like kind of seeing charlie in the corner of his room too yeah that's right that yep and like being afraid of her obviously yes and i i can't remember what happens between that scene and i just want to make sure i'm not missing anything between that scene and when annie starts like opens up the scrapbook and starts putting the pieces together yeah because i think it all happens it's it's all happening in real time but uh-huh. it's like shot like you know it's like shot like it's like subsequent shots it's like Annie's looking through the scrapbook while Peter's going through the shit at the classroom, you know? Yep. Um, Uh, I think uh, the only thing that I noticed was um, when uh, Steve brings Peter back from school and walks in the door, um, Steve mentions, like, the smell. Like, there's some kind of smell in their house. And I, I think that's them noticing like the decomposing body in their attic, uh, but not noting what, right. not knowing, knowing I what it is. I fucking missed that. I yeah, fucking missed yeah. that because I was actually going to rip on the entire family and be like, "What the <laughs> fuck do you not notice a body, like a decomposing body in your attic?" Yeah, I think they were just uh, preoccupied. Preoccupied a little bit, and all, but they they were definitely noticing a smell. But just like we got too much shit going on to check <laughs> what's smelling in our house. Something fucking reeks in here, but I don't give a shit. Yeah, get another Febreze bottle and just squirt it everywhere. But so when uh, Annie was looking through the scrapbook or the notebook, um, was that in the attic? I think she... I don't think she found it in the attic. Didn't she find it like in her like art? Oh yeah, art yeah. room. Yeah, yeah, and the thing that kind of annoys me with that is that it was just like sitting right there. I think it was her mom's stuff, and she just like wasn't ready to go through yeah. it. Yeah. But I just feel like with all this crazy stuff that's been happening over the span of like however many weeks, like why? And I mean, just why wouldn't you? <laughs> but yeah, she was definitely like searching for answers. Um... Are like ready to search for answers for some things. Yeah, yeah. And, well, was it? Wasn't? Didn't she like fucking destroy like a bunch of the 
like miniatures that she has. Yeah, I made a note of that because uh, um, I think like she got a call from the her client of just like being super understanding and being like like if you need more time. Uh, Ari Aster, by the way, we can we can work. Oh, really? Yeah, it's an uncredited, uncredited voice cameo. There you go. Um, yeah, I never knew that. <clears throat> but that, I feel like that was such a good scene to throw in there because, um, like that just reconnects everything that seems so surreal happening to the family with reality. Um, right. Yeah, this is a real. This is the real world, um, and real things are happening still outside of this area that just makes it that just just juxtaposes so well with the all the shit that's going down inside the house and then she just loses it yeah and is it well at some point i can't remember if she goes up into the attic right after that or if she goes to joan's apartment and joan's no longer there anymore that's right yeah because she mm-hmm. wanted answers from Joan. Joan didn't answer, but had a bunch of shit on her table that was all ritually. And, yep. oh, yeah, then on, on Joan's table, wasn't there, like, Peter pictures or yeah stuff yep. about Peter? And wasn't yeah. Charlie's one of her, like, toys? Yeah, yep. the toy she was working on. Yep. Yeah. Um, and then we see Joan yelling at Peter from across the way. Oh, yeah, another, I forgot about that. Another across the way scene. Yeah, she's like, "Get out!" <laughs> and he's like looking around, like, "Is that that's what? That's what me? Him? Uh, me? Uh, <laughs> yeah, Peter." I would be the exact like. I would. That was such a realistic reaction to it. Just being like, "What are you talking to me?" Actually. <laughs> Oh my god, yeah, that was I that was comical for me. Like there's no, nothing yeah, like, kinda was. maddening about it. I was just like <laughs> I was just like, what? Like yeah, because just like it, it works better that he like didn't act like afraid right away. He was just kind of like looking to <laughs> the side and just oh. This is like more shit. I've already seen myself smiling at myself in the mirror today and it's broken my nose. He's like, I just came out here to fucking sit and relax with this fucking fifty-one-year-old Mormon. I can't smoke weed anymore. Yeah, can't smoke marijuana anymore. My fucking throat clogs up. Oh yeah, that's yeah. From that scene, Peter's life just goes down down the drain, kind of. Oh yeah, it. I mean, shit. Let's get into the whole classroom scene because that was. Oh my god, dude! Mm-hmm. Just, I mean, his his face, like I just, I can picture his face, like just like contorted and just like, I, it's just disturbing. Yeah, he's got broken blood vessels in his eyes, like oh my his god, arms just up in the air. God, and you, they do a great job, um, which I feel like is always such a great, great part of horror movies when they, you know, something fucked is happening off screen. And you see people reacting to it and looking at it. Yes. And they they like hold as long as possible to actually show you what's happening and what they're reacting to. And they, they do that 
well in that scene. Yeah, because didn't we just see a shot of like Peter's arm going up, like he's raising his hand, but his like wrist is like fucked up, and then, like, <laughs> yeah. and then we're just like seeing his friends going like, uh, P- oh my god, Peter, like what's going on? And it's just like the 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 teacher's like, are you okay? And then it finally turns, and it's like, um, that. Yeah. Does he fucking look okay? So this is happening. Yeah, that's what Peter is. Oh, this is happening. He's like having a fucking stroke. Teacher, may I use the restroom? Oh man, yeah. And then he just doesn't he slam his face like twice into the desk. <laughs> yeah, I read something where uh, Alex Wolf had wanted to actually break his nose for the scene oh my God. doing it <clears throat> but Ari Aster was like no nah, we'll we'll not have you do that we'll so like, we'll, we'll set you up with a soft desk um for that scene and then yeah. Alex did it uh and it was a hard desk <clears throat> and he dislocated his jaw doing the scene um which is an oh. interesting note so Dude, that yeah. makes me think of it all like different now I thought uh, we got Ari Aster gaslighting his. Oh my <laughs> god! Yeah, you're gonna yeah. Imagine if he just like like what if he like fractured his like orbital bone or some shit. Let's <laughs> see his head explode like scanners. Yeah, Ari's that was not supposed to happen, <laughs> but we're gonna keep it. In. We're gonna keep it in. Yeah, we'll we'll edit it. In memory of Alex. Don't they? She's upstairs now. She's in the attic and her phone's down downstairs. The school tries calling her. They can't get a hold of her. So then they eventually call Steve. And we finally see his office. And he. Uh, finally. I've been wanting to see my office. I've been wanting to see what that doc's been up to. And uh, he. Uh, has to go pick up uh, Peter because he's all fucked up. Yeah, and I think that might be when uh, he brings him back and he mentions the smell. Um, and then, yeah, after that with uh, we get Tony testing the book, right? The sketchbook? Yes. Is that what yeah. she's trying well, to burn? Well, she, doesn't she go upstairs and she sees... Is that her, is that was that her mother's dead body up there? Okay, yeah, she she saw her mom's dead body up there because her uh, grave had been defiled. Like the call had told uh, Steve. Yep. Is that so? That comes full circle with okay. We see where the body went. Some cultists dug up the body. We assume and then brought it to their house and put it in the attic. Oh, Cut the head just, off. That's just fucking creepy. Yep. Yes, because she throws it into the fire and her arm catches on fire, right? Yeah. Yeah. So we see that the book, um, you can't burn it because it'll kill you. How do you defeat the book then? So Tony thought she had this figured out with uh, having um, Steve burn the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. So after she saw the body in the attic, she went to Steve. Because and... Steve just got home, right? Yeah. She's like, tell me I'm not crazy. Uh, look up there and make sure I actually saw what I saw. And Steve's just like, more of this shit. 
from my crazy wife <clears throat> um, walks up into the attic and freaks out. Finally gets to see him freak out for the first time. I hear him. Yep. I have that in my notes too. I'm like, Steve finally freaks out. <laughs> yeah. So that's like really his first moment of vulnerability. Um, and I think like at some point it's mentioned that Payman one prefers a male host. Yep. And also, like, something about, like, the environment status of the host, if they're vulnerable, like, it's easier for him to uh, take hold. So I think that might be where Payman switches from Annie to Steve when he finds the mother's, the grandmother's body. Oh, dude, that is, I didn't even think about that. So that explains why he fucking... Got on fire. Yeah. And, and honestly, the entire time, because remember, she's sitting there and she's begging him. She's begging him to just yeah. throw him in the fire. And he's just kind of like, you need you need serious help. Yeah, you can <laughs> just tell, like, he's completely done with the relationship. <laughs> like, he is, like, he's resigned to the fact that his wife is insane. Um, and just, like, uh, just through the easiest way forward placating her by going along with what she's saying um yes. burning the book and, and then he explodes well and i that's the thing too is like when he's like i'm not playing these games anymore and he's like and then because remember he, he didn't throw it in there she threw it in there. oh shit that's right yeah and then he fucking in, was engulfed in flames and just that's right he ref- he didn't placate her he was like i'm not gonna um, like feed into your. He's like, I'm calling. I'm calling the police. Yeah, that's that. right. Which, like, I was just waiting for him to like throw it in the fire, and I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna get charred up. And then when he didn't, yeah. He didn't. So that really proves that it's not who throws the book in that burns. It's whoever is being affected by the possession by by having Tony throw it in and her not burn. I mean, mm-hmm. some, something was different between when she threw it in the first time and when she threw it in the second time. Um, so I, think, I think that was whoever was possessed. Yeah, that's uh, who that was. Uh, that was a very intense. intense scene. Yes, very, very intense. And I was on Steve's side. I was just like, dude, I just like try to think about like if I was in that situation, like with a spouse yeah. or something like you love this person, you know, and you do anything for them. But like, at the same time, it's just like, after you're going through all that stuff with them, you're just kind of like, yeah, they, they, they are sick. Like I would, I don't know. I like, I would just kind of be like, put this fucking book on the table. We're not throwing it into anything. And we're just going to, I'd probably throw it in the fire and then call the police. Uh, I don't I'd know, man. I, I'm, like, superstitious about shit, and I'd just be like, no, put it on the fucking table, and let's just get the police here. Like, yeah. let, let them throw let it Somebody, in. social worker. Yeah, I mean, hey, let's just call a social... Let's call the fucking mayor and get him over here. <laughs> let's call the mayor, rabbi, priest. <laughs> Everybody. Whoo! What do you think happened between the time of Steve's roast... And Peter waking up. Yeah, that's a good question because I'm not sure how much time actually passes. Is it like an entire night? 
because it was like it was probably what I mean it was still light out when yeah he caught I mean, on fire. Yeah, I feel I feel like it was like dusk and then dawn. Yep. Um, if I had to assume, I'd bet that Tony Collette was just standing over Peter the entire time. Oh my god, dude! Yeah, I, I have that in my notes. I'm like, mom up in the corner, creepy. Yeah, God. No, that's that scene where Peter comes out of his bed and slowly walks out and finds um, Steve. And in the, that entire scene, Tony's just up in the corner, yeah, chilling. Yeah, yep. Well, remember she was in his bedroom at first. Oh yeah, that's right. And then Where she was like floating around. Yeah, well, she was like in the corner, and then when he was turning around because he felt a presence, and to look in the corner, she like ran across the wall. And, oh, like, yeah, that's out. right. Yeah, I was like, oh, because like she's kind of like blurry, like when the shot first opens, and then like she kind of starts like coming into frame. Yeah, and yeah. just like, oh, what is she doing? I hate the skittering on walls and ceilings, like uh, The Exorcist. Yeah, combines my fear of skittering on ceilings with my fear of old people. Um, they did a good job with that, and, and Tony Collette was great at it. She's a great scary skitterer. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, but this is the scene where, like, I mean, obviously her being up in the corner scared the shit out of me, but also just like his, like when he's inspecting the body mm-hmm. and his like realization by seeing his like dad's wedding the wedding ring on the finger and like coming to the realization mm-hmm. that this is his father and then that's at, at that time uh and like a couple moments where alex wolf is um like shocked by what he's saying both with yeah. like and seeing his dad seeing um some of the later things he'll see like he does this very like visceral intake like stuttering intake of breath yeah that or like gasp that is so good um and just seems so like instinctual and primordial uh i i feel like it's a great great job by him uh, just for his reactions and then those big tears always come down his face. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. He, I mean, he's, he's, he's a great actor just in mm-hmm. general. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, um, uh, my best friend Dahmer. No, haven't yet. So he's in that and he plays like, he's like playing like the lead, uh, character who like, whose best friend is Jeff Dahmer. And, there, yeah, I mean, old Jeff, old old Jeffrey Dahmer, and yeah, there he's very good in that. But there's like a specific scene that from watching Hereditary and then having watched that movie, I'm like, oh my god, like I kind of, I kind of getting like the same feeling here of like, mm. like Alex Wolf is just like. I feel like just as a person, he has a certain way of reacting to being in danger. Like when he's acting that like, there's no difference from those two movies. Mm, interesting. So, um, got nailed down. It's, it's a little bit of a different, like 
it's a they're obviously different situations, but it just kind of made me think of that, and I was like, oh man, like he was like he was prepped for this, you know. Maybe it shows that he's got to vary up his guttural intake of breath reaction a little bit, make change it up once in a while. Uh, yeah, this was you know I'm probably I'm probably uh not too far off to say that this is like your greatest nightmare mother yep just absolute full sprint chase oh this is exactly like my uh (laughs) sleep paralysis nightmare worst thing that could possibly happen where my mom's just like skulking and creeping um and then chasing after me god everything that happens after after he finds his dad is so terrible Oh, I know, and it's it's so it's like on speed. It's just so fucking fast too. Uh huh. Well, yeah, he turns around from seeing his dad to seeing what I assume is payment, uh, or like a manifestation of payment. That man from the funeral. Oh, was that the man from the funeral? Yep. Shit. His cock just hanging down low. Yeah. Okay. So that dude's just in their house chilling mm-hmm. yeah that's where i'm like yep something's i mean i already knew something fucked was going on but then i'm like yeah this is bigger than what and, i thought it was yeah just him smiling from the shadows like in the oh. half light yes like it's the moonlight's almost, on him it's almost worse than like the effect they do with um uh michael myers where like he like there's just a completely black hallway and oh yeah he, he emerges from it his white his white mask starts to yeah come in come into the frame yeah like you're it's just showing you too much but still barely not enough of a person uh where it's just like inhuman um i don't know something about it is just like far more off-putting to me and dreamlike hate it yeah that shit i mean i don't even know like I feel like he was almost, like, frozen in fear there, like, looking at him until his, like, until his mother started chasing him. Like, I feel like, like, I I wonder what he would have actually have done, like, had she not been there to chase him. Do you think he would have been like, hey, what's going on? Or if he just sat there and just, like... <laughs> uh, I, I'd assume after, like, the shock wore off, he would have fucking sprinted for the front door. Also... I mean, it's all happening so fast, but, like, you get the, like, fake-out jump scare where he looks at the corner where she was, and then Mm. you get the actual jump scare where she sprints from the other corner after him. Um, But his immediate reaction, I guess, is to climb into the attic, which I guess makes sense if you can, like, close yourself up there. Um, The stairs were already down, weren't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's chasing him, like, right behind him, so it's not like he had time to be like, I'm I'm going to the front door. I don't know. I'd probably feel safe. Ah, maybe not. You don't don't assume that your dead grandma's up there and and stuff like that, but, um, yeah, when she, when he gets up in the attic and you hear the thudding, Mm. that's that's another moment where, um, the movie does a great job of making you imagine what's happening long enough. Cause you're like, Oh, she's pounding with her fist on the, like just sporadically, yeah. frantically on the, on the attic door. 
and then it it cuts to her and she's just slamming her head into it over and over again when she's just like oh my god what the fuck (laughs) just how fast she's doing it too is just and just hanging um off the ceiling is so so freaky oh i know dude it's and so i was kind of confused by this part like how was she all of a sudden just like down like not in the attic and then like all of a sudden she's like up in the, yeah. the rafters like taking a piano wire and like sawing her head off yeah i didn't know if you'd seen something that i keep missing but I, I was kind of wondering about that too, but we do see her. Uh, I mean, we see her flying and floating and skittering around on ceilings and stuff. There might have been. Oh, uh, oh, you know what? You know what probably happened? Uh, remember, he gets distracted because there's like three naked people in the corner, <laughs> and he's like looking somewhat at them, distracting. And maybe she like levitated into the window and up, went up there. That could be, yeah. Or she just can, like, <clears throat> squeeze through floorboards or something. No. <laughs> like, that's one of the gifts of payment is that you can, you, you become boneless and can squish through floorboards. You become Flat Stanley. <laughs> flat Payman. <laughs> flat Payman. Uh, yeah, that was, um, I don't know, that was. Ooh, that was another just like very like grotesque scene to watch of her like running that piano wire through her God. neck and just continue just getting progressively faster with it. Yeah, oh. and just floating by doing it. But yeah, Peter when he's in the attic, um, and again great acting. I feel like where he's just like leaning over the um, attic door, just like pleading with his mom. Um, yeah. And then he sees the body, or he sees the, no, he sees the ritual circle where the body's mark was, like yep. the, out, the outline oh. of his grandma's corpse. Yes. Because um, uh, it moved. And then immediately after that, he's just like trying to reason it with himself, uh, denying it and being like wake up you gotta wake up oh i feel feel like was pretty realistic too yeah he's like slapping himself in the face he's like you need to wake up right now people and he's like this ain't a dream thank you people don't appear in my dreams not regularly not 50 year olds that's for sure (laughs) not 51 year olds yeah and then what when she finally saws her head off, does he just like jump through the window? Yeah, so he jumped. He um, saw his mom sawing her head and then jumped through the window. And then he flumps down. Um, and like, as, as the camera zooms in on him slowly, Payman. you hear. Um, the sawing stop and uh, Annie's body drops to the floor. Mm, okay. And then you, yeah, you see the lights start to float down towards um, <clears throat> Peter's body. Yeah. 
I think he killed himself falling out the window. Yeah, very, very easy to do. Yep, makes sense. Um, yeah, because like once he kind of comes, well, you see, yeah, you see the light like kind of land on his back and then disappear. So I mm-hmm. kind of figured like it had entered his body and then <laughs> then came in time. Yeah, came in time. Uh, then you see Annie like levitating into <sighs> the treehouse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the la- this uh, last part of the movie, like, it, it feels so much like a dream where um, just the way Annie's body even, like, moves, it's just, it's not like it's flying with, like, intention. It's, like, being pulled in. Yeah, pulled in. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely. And then <clears throat> Peter gets up and does the classic tongue cluck yep so why did he do that yeah i was gonna see if you um if you knew what was going on here my take is that um i think they made charlie do like have kind of a quirk like that where she clucked her tongue just so we would know at the end of the movie that um oh. she like her soul was inside Peter's body now. Um because like Charlie is payment according to the cultists. Right. But she needed a male body vessel. Um so when Peter died she was able to inhabit his body. And we were able to see it was her because he clucked his tongue. Gotcha. Yeah. I almost, well, I, I feel like, like I said, this is almost like a, almost like a two watch minimum movie because yep. all that shit happens so fast. Like there's really only like another like minute and a half left of the movie after that, you know? And so, you're yep. just kind of, and all this stuff's happening. You're just kind of like, what's wait. No, yeah. I mean, like I said, after my first watch of the movie, I was completely lost on the grandma's involvement, like like, like the depth <laughs> of the grandma's involvement and the like the whole conspiracy and um, Peter at the end, like what was up with the cluck and um, but Joan referred to Peter as Charlie in the treehouse. That's right. Said, yep. Don't have to be afraid. Well, wasn't there the Charlie Shrine in there? Yeah, her head on top of um, like the mannequin or like the statue. There's like a little like makeshift crown. Yep. Um, then you got the guy, the, the buddy with the man bun in the back of the crowd of the kneeling naked people. Yep. Get to see him again. Um, get to see the dead grandma kneeling and headless Tony Collette. That's right. Bowing down. Um, yeah, that, that whole, the way that whole sequence was like the shots and the the music, like the kind of like triumph, um, like trumpeting music. 
Yeah, I, I felt like that made that was, that was like perfect for that scene. Um, I was gonna look up who the um, composer was for the. Maybe I can find it right here. Uh, Colin Stetson. Yeah. Oh, he also did Color Out of Space. Texas That's Chainsaw with Nick Massacre. Cage, right? Yeah. I gotta see that one. Yeah, nice. maybe we'll do our next one on Color Out of Space. I've seen it before. It's Is it a, a horror, horror movie? Yeah. It's like a... It's um. A rendition of an old H.P. Lovecraft story, cosmic horror. He also did uh, Twelve Years a Slave." Oh, this guy's pretty prolific. Oh shit! He did the most recent Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Mm-hmm. Did not know that that piece of shit. Wow. <laughs> I mean, great composer, but he. I mean. <laughs> It's Color Out of Space movie. wasn't awesome either. It wasn't an awesome movie. I bet you it was better than Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2020. I'll have to, I'll have to see Texas Chainsaw. I have like 11 other Texas Chainsaw movies to see though. Uh, definitely put that one on the bottom of your list. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty fucking dumb. Um, yeah, yeah. What, what were your thoughts on this? Uh, like on first time watch with this final scene. I liked it. I I kind of just because I've seen Midsummer and I feel like it kind of has like the same type of like story arc. It's a different story, but I just felt like everything builds to a very just very interesting ending. Like very like like you're kind of you're kind of just like in it for the ending, you know? Like something fucked up's going to happen and I <laughs> I just kind of like I don't know. I just I felt like a lot of things were moving fast, but I kind of had to like look up some stuff after just to kind of mm-hmm. like put the pieces together a little better and it like makes like obviously it makes like more sense. Like to be honest with you, like first time through, like the first time I had even like recognized like the name like Payman was was in the treehouse like at the end. Like but then I like was able to put two and two together and be like, oh, that's like who they summoned, you know? Because like I didn't even like think about that before. I just thought like I thought they were just trying to like bring like Charlie mm-hmm. reincarnate her through Peter as like as a controlled entity of the coven. Yeah, but I I mean I liked it. I I mean. I don't know if I'd. I know I said it's a two watch minimum, but I don't know if I want to. Like, I'm gonna have to give it some time before I do that again. And yeah, I don't want to do it alone. A couple of years before I watched it again. I don't want to do it alone either. I don't want to like, because I watched it alone this weekend, and well, I mean, which was fine, but I mean, I just, I mean, there's some movies I like watching alone, but like, I don't know, this one was just like it's a lot. I, yeah, it's just I feel like I just had, like I was like holding, like carrying a lot of like the heavy scenes like just sitting uh-huh. there alone you know i mean i was taking notes prepping for this 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 episode but at the same time just like fuck <laughs> yeah i mean i feel like any horror movie the ideal is to have a friend or two to watch it with uh unlike 
maybe some other genres of movie but right um yeah especially with uh well like fun ones or dramatic ones you get the same shared kind of ride with it um and you also notice stuff just having two pairs of eyes on it that uh you wouldn't alone yeah yeah i feel like i mean holly and i just watched a movie that I actually started like the first 10 minutes I started watching it like alone. And then she was like, do you want to watch a movie? She like texted me like, do you want to watch a movie? And I was like, all right, starting one. I can like, you know, restart it. And then I'm glad I did because her and I like towards the end of that movie were like so into it. Like, Oh my God, like, does this mean that? Or like, Oh my God, this, this person is mm-hmm. so stupid. And, I feel like if I would have been watching it alone, I wouldn't have got that into it. And I probably wouldn't have liked it as much. But, yeah, that's, like, the fun part of watching, like, movies like this with people. Because you can just kind of share the the fucked up experience. Yeah, I, I don't have enough people to watch horror movies now with. Uh, Ashley will humor me. Um, like, she's watched Hereditary. Last time I watched it uh, before uh, the viewing for this podcast uh, she watched it with me and nice. Um, uh, but most horror movies she's not super into, but, um, we're both big fans of watching the campy ones together that have a few laughs in it and stuff. You can kind of just make fun of along with the little, a little more light. Yeah, exactly. Like evil dead or, uh, killer clowns from outer space stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Hey man, if we were, if we were in a uh, neighboring cities or just closer, I'm sure we'd probably oh. watch it. I know our our mutual friend uh, Taylor. I mean, him and I go to. I mean, well, we haven't in a while, but we. I mean, for a while there, we were going to movies every single week, and I'd drag him to horror movies. And I mean, he's. I wouldn't say he's not a fan, but he's just like he's kind of indifferent. He just more really of a didn't. comedy slash action guy. Yeah, more of, like, into, like, the Marvel, DC stuff and, like, comedies, which, I mean, I enjoy that stuff, too. But I think he gets a kick out of some of the mm-hmm. horror movies. I know that he doesn't, like, par- like not because it scares him, but he just, like, doesn't get any enjoyment out of, like, paranormal stuff. Yeah, more of, uh, more of the slashers and tangible. Yeah. Horror. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I think, honestly, like, Hereditary was everything that I expected it to be, and which is good because I held it in like very high regard, um, just based off of like just anecdotes and looking up stuff on the internet, and you know, just I guess <laughs> the ninety percent on Rotten Tomatoes is a pretty good indication of that too. Uh, yeah, how would you stack it up to like other horror movies, maybe in that same genre? Or just overall? I was going to... Yeah, that's a really good uh, way to phrase it. Because I was going to say, I think it'd be unfair to to rank this against like a, a Halloween or a Friday 13th. Yeah, since they're, they're horror movies, but they're they're different subgenres within horror that are... I mean, they're so far apart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, within kind of like the more like drama horror or just like art housey type horror. I mean... I would say it's probably one of the top three, top five, top three that I've seen. Um, 
I mean, it's probably just because it's so fresh in my mind. I'd probably mm-hmm. put it up that high. But, I mean, I like to kind of rate the movies at the end. And I feel like on a scale of, like, 1 to 10, also keeping in mind that I'm not, like, ha- keep having the factors of, like, a slasher film or some of the cl- more classical horror elements um i mean i probably give this one like a solid like 8.5 like i, I 8.5 mm-hmm. out of 10 like i feel like it hits all the it hits all the notes that it's trying to um it's effective in making you tariff i mean it, it's effective in causing you a bunch of a, a bunch of emotions like yeah being feeling disturbed feeling you know terrified feeling empathy for the people going through yep. um you know the loss of a family and i think that says a lot because there's a lot of horror movies where you don't really feel any of that you just kind of feel fear you know yeah. that's about it and yeah i i think 8.5 is is a fair rating what would you rank it one out of ten. I think the way you broke it down was about perfect, like how I look at it. Like um a lot of the way I look at a movie is like how much it made me I don't care what the emotion is, if it was like intense one way or the or the other uh type of emotion, like I'll rate that movie pretty highly. And I feel like hereditary stands among like the Mount Rushmore of like any type of movie I've watched in terms of how much I just feel over the ride of the movie. Um, so I'd, I'd probably put it as like a benchmark for to pit other horror movies against at a 10. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's awesome. I kind of figured you'd be in the, the nine to 10 range. I also suggested for this podcast, so I got to pump it up. I know. Well, it probably is like what one of your favorite like horror movies, if not your favorite. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, arguably favorite. Yeah, arguably favorite. Well, I know. I so Keller. You know, like I said, I mentioned before, we kind of dug into the movie that uh, he's been kind of dabbling more into the the more classic horror stuff and getting into slashers. And I've been giving him a list of, of different movies to watch. So um, I'm going to continue trying to fill that list for him because uh, he might come across something that, uh, that, you know, passes this in the, in the rankings. I doubt, I doubt it just because I feel like it's a modern horror movie that, I mean, it's, it, 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 it's, it's very, it's just very good. I think it'd be yeah. hard, hard to beat, but I mean, there will probably be some that you'll really enjoy. Well, how like, about so- you leave me and the listeners with like the next two classic slasher or whatever horror movies I should watch or we should watch. Oh man, you, well, you've already seen the original Halloween, right? Oh yeah. Okay. Well, Have you seen? Have you, well, I'm not, I don't want to say uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street because that's already on your list, right? Because you got to watch. Yeah, that might honestly be next just so I can catch up with the pod too. Okay. But that's, that also should have been, I've seen, got to, got to do that one. So I would, I would recommend 
Friday the Thirteenth. Okay. I don't. If you haven't seen, because Friday yeah. and and honestly, um, you know the the first Friday the Thirteenth is not my favorite in the franchise, but it is you know it is a horror classic, and um, I mean it's it, it's a must see, and yeah. I know yeah, a I lot feel of like the, with how intertwines like the Friday the Thirteenth and nightmare on elm street franchises have become like it's something i uh that should be seen kind of in tandem kind of back to back yeah oh yeah definitely i mean honestly the cool thing about like those is that you can like pound through like three or four of them if you have nothing going on in like an afternoon it's just like it's just fun fun movies to to watch they're not they're not typically depressing because they're they're pretty they're pretty campy. You know? uh-huh. They're pretty just unbelievable with all the stuff that's going on. So definitely uh, Friday the thirteenth. Um, if I were to recommend another one, I would either have you watch um, 1974's Black Christmas. That one's pretty good. Or, huh? I guess I'm not really sure which other ones I'd I'd have you, or the other one that I'd have you watch. Um, I'll I'll leave you with a recommendation as well on the listeners. Um, the movie Sisters. Uh, Say that again. Sisters. Sisters. Okay. Yeah, it's an um, older one. I can't remember what year it was made, but I think it was uh, 70s. Um, but it was, it took a lot of inspiration from uh, Alfred Hitchcock, stuff like Rear Window, uh, yeah. kind of mysteries like that. Um, also had kind of like psychological horror elements. Uh, but that was one I watched this past October when I did like a um like 20 movies in 20 days type of thing yeah uh, horror movies trying to catch up on some classics uh that was one that stood out to me for sure yeah definitely i don't think i've seen that one which is like surprising i'll have to i'll have to i'll have to watch that one yeah i was gonna say if uh black christmas and if you want to hit up another one um the town that dreaded sundown is also pretty, pretty freaking creepy. That one's from like seventy six. Was that on the DVD cover? Pretty freaking creepy. Yeah, that that is the tagline. Pretty freaking creepy. <laughs> so it says on oh, that solves that solves it. That solves um, it. But yeah, no, I I I highly recommend people to check out those films i know at some point we're gonna we'll obviously cover black christmas and the town that dreaded sundown um and then yeah i, I want to watch sisters i'd love to have you back on if i eventually yeah i'd like that. to i'd like to do a fun slasher next time yeah yeah something that's just not like so you know um gloomy exactly it, yeah yeah we yeah, could definitely lighten up around here we could definitely do something like that. I know that I didn't get around to publishing my solo one because of my freaking 
eye accident I had. <laughs> what was that? My my eye accident. Yeah, what what, was, what happened with it? Oh, I I thought I told. Well, my dog scratched my eye. Oh off. yeah, you told me about that. So like, I basically was like light sensitive for like uh-huh. four days, and I just like, I was just like super tired all the time and like in immense pain. So I was like, yeah, I said I'd publish one this week, but they'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to do with one eye. Well, now, yeah. Now, now that you're a one-eyed man, I'm not a one-eyed man, so yeah, it's uh, it'd be very, very difficult. But thanks so much for for coming on, and this was a ton of fun. I know that this was a movie that you were super excited about, and I thought we had some a really good conversation just about a, di- a bunch of the different elements that this movie presented, and I think a lot of people are going to enjoy. Um, our conversation because I, I honestly feel like our conversation was quite like intellectual, like on a, on a level, you know, yeah, and we, are, we are pretty smart, aren't we? We're pretty, we're pretty smart. Um, and then, you know, we can do a slasher and kind of dumb our brains down a little bit. Yeah. I'm, I'm, <laughs> my brain hurts. Nothing wrong with that though. Sometimes you just need to do that. <laughs> Gotta get it out. Um, yeah. I'm super excited to come back on. And this, I had a lot of, a lot of fun. Definitely, man. Well, I am just going to do some plugs here. So um, if you guys are, are liking the, the film room, you guys want to continue, uh, you know, listening and just being as supportive as possible, you know, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we also have a Facebook page um, the fil- at the film room. Um, just look for the same logo that you're seeing on, you know, Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts. And uh, I'm trying to build the community there, putting posts out weekly, um, kind of teasing which episodes that are going to be coming out, food for thought type stuff. And um, it's actually growing um, pretty fast. You know, I think we're close to about 100 uh, followers. I just need people to be a little more uh, active in there. So it, that's on me, too. So I'm going to be posting. But, yeah, definitely go in there if you want to see, um, you know, what's coming out next. And, um yeah, I, I guess, uh, I, I guess I can let you guys know that I'm, I'm in the works with trying to get my crazy uncle Seth back on, <laughs> and he wants to do the original It, so he doesn't want to do the new one. He wants to do the one, uh, from like 1991 or something, and. So we might do that. And I think the best part about it, and you guys know just from that one episode of listening to him, he's quite eccentric. And uh, his greatest fear is uh, clown, our clowns. So I think that would be um, quite entertaining. So uh, definitely look, be on the lookout for that to come out. I'm hoping to get that out before the end of the month. Um, it might take a little longer. and We're probably going to do two parts since the movie is um, split in two parts, so I'll probably do part one, part two, um, and I'll probably release part one one week and part two the next week. So uh, just be on the lookout for that. But you know, thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening, and uh, see you later. See ya. <laughs>